Okay, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Fact Checker Podcast. Um, before we get started, we'll introduce the team. I am Marissa Payne, the Gazette's Iraq's government reporter. I'm Elijah Dishis, the Gazette's feature reporter. I'm Michaela Ram, the Gazette's healthcare reporter. And I'm Erin Jordan. I'm the Gazette's investigative reporter. Yeah, this week we'll be looking at a fact check um, about the private school tuition assistance bill. Um, that seems to be the thing that's holding up our Iowa lawmakers from adjourning this year's legislative session. So this stems from uh, Republican Governor Kim Reynolds' proposal to divert taxpayer funds toward private school tuition assistance. Um, and this week's claim is from State Senator Liz Mathis, one of our Democratic lawmakers from Lynn County, who's also a candidate uh, running to unseat uh, Representative Ashley Hinson um, in Iowa's first congressional district. Um, so this tweet is from March 31st, um, criticizing Senate File 2369. Uh, this legislation calls for roughly $55 million in state funding to go toward 10,000 scholarships. That would be around $5,500 each. Um, And these, um, they're calling them student-first scholarships, would be given to moderate and low-income families of public school students who wish to instead enroll in a private school. Um, So what Liz Mathis posted was, I would believe public dollars should fund public schools, but ours in the state Senate passed a bill that diverts $76 million away from public schools where 93% of Iowans are educated, undermines underfunded rural schools, and requires zero transparency from private schools that get funds. So basically for this fact check, the second claim about the bill undermining rural schools is pretty subjective. So we're going to focus our fact check um, on the first and third claims. So for the first claim that the bill diverts $76 million away from public schools where 93% of Iowans are educated, uh, Liz Mathis's campaign team said that she used an estimate of $76 million from an Iowa State Education Association Twitter post. And um, there's a memo from the Nonpartisan Legislative Services Agency that estimates the bill will result in a decrease of $79.1 million to the state general fund because 10,000 students basically who would no longer be enrolled in public schools, um, you know, they would no longer be counted in enrollment. So then, you know, their funds would be shifting over to private schools. And according to the Iowa Department of Education, there are around 485,000 students enrolled in public schools uh, this current school year. Uh, enrollment in non-public schools totals around 33,000. Um, so, you know, that amounts to about six, you know, six percent of total school enrollment being private schools. So, you know, Liz Mathis did use the more conservative estimate on the decrease in funding to public schools. So Liz Mathis used the more conservative estimate, uh, you know, to talk about the decrease in funding to public schools of, you know, 76 million versus about 79 million. But, um, you know, since those figures aren't too far off, she clearly didn't have an intention to mislead or over-exaggerate, and she was correct on the enrollment data. So I gave her an A for that claim. Um, I guess before we move on, uh, do you guys agree with that or do you feel any differently. It seems like those are pretty clear cut. The dollar amounts are easy to... I agree. I'm um, kind of confused on the 76 versus the $79 million um, million figure. If the Legislative Services Agency is giving that $79 million estimate, where is um, Mathis and the Education Association getting that $76 million from? 
That I don't know. Um, okay. You know, because I did ask Liz Mathis's team, you know, why the discrepancy there between 76 million and 79, and they just simply said they were going with the Iowa State Education Association figures. And the the analysis from the Legislative Services Agency is like a little old. Um, it's from like when the bill was first introduced. Um, because there's a date on the top of it from February 28th, I think when it passed out of the Senate Appropriations Committee or, you know, just it was earlier on in the process. So, you know, I'm not sure if there have been some differences there, but that's the most recent legislative analysis on it. Okay. But, yeah. If it were more than, then I would be concerned, you know, but it's less than and it's fairly close. I don't know. It could be as much as like transposing the, you know, a nine and a six, but uh, I guess it doesn't concern me a ton. Yeah. I, I think I agree with the greed, the grade so far. Um, so this, a decrease of 79 million from the state general fund would de- be dependent on all 10,000 slots of students taking advantage of this scholarship, right? Yeah, so if all 10,000 of these scholarships are awarded and, you know, they're leaving the public school system, that's how they arrived at this figure. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm good so far. Okay. Um, And then for the next claim um, that we're looking at, that's the claim that the bill requires zero transparency from private schools that get funds. Mathis and her opponents are essentially arguing that there's limited transparency into how effectively public you know, taxpayer dollars are being spent um, because public schools, you know, they're held accountable to more specific state standards and reporting requirements, whereas private schools are not, uh, though private schools still must be accredited by by the state or by a state-approved independent agency. So um, Mathis's campaign team pointed to language in the, in the bill stating that it shall not be construed to expand authority to the state or any political subdivision of the state to impose regulations upon any non-public school that are not necessary to implement this uh, scholarship program. So, you know, basically they're just, they're not regulating these schools in any way beyond like what's necessary. Um, But the legislation does contain like a parent or guardian bill of rights uh, that basically outlines that Parents have the right to access, you know, certain information about the curriculum and the education materials that their child, um, you know, will be taught with. Um, There's some language in there about the process for removing library books, since that's been another big legislative push to kind of take aim at some of these books that um, are are particularly centered on, like, LGBTQ individuals or um, the 1619 Project by Nicole Hannah-Jones, you know, and how that speaks to the experience of black Americans in our history as a nation. Um, you know, that that's what that's targeting. Um, so, you know, there's some language in the bill about that, but it's not immediately clear, um, at least from my read of the bill's language, whether, um, whether this parent bill of rights is also applicable to private schools or whether it's just uh, intended to be applicable to um, public schools. So, you know, I'd say if the, you know, my thoughts on it right now are that if the 
parental bill of rights is applicable to both public and private schools that, um, you know, Mathis's claim, I'd probably downgrade a bit because then there are like some expectations that parents have access to certain information about like who's receiving funds from the district, what curriculum their child is, um, you know, being taught in schools. But, you know, if this parent bill of rights is not applicable to private schools, then there, you know, at least from looking at the bill so far, there isn't any language adding such, you know, requirements that, you know, parents have access to certain information. So, um, you know, I'm checking in with legislative staff about that just to clarify my understanding, but, you know, their answer to that will kind of determine the grade on that. So one question I have is, um, you know, there's like we talked about, there's a lot of data that, de that the Department of Education tracks about these school districts, um, you know, talks about a uh, number of kids and like with who are um, of different um, racial and ethnic groups, um, ELL students, different things like that. I, I wonder if outside the issue of like what library books are available and that kind of thing. I wonder if those private schools have to report all that data to the Department of Education. And, um, you know, one of the big criticisms of these voucher programs is that if, you know, you have um, families who move their kids to private schools, that those private schools don't have to accept everyone. They don't have to take kids who have disabilities, who have behavior challenges, those sorts of things. So I wonder if that sort of data, like special education, how many kids do you have in special education programs? I wonder if that's required to re be reported to the state. Um, but I agree with you, you know, because they use the phrase zero transparency, that's really like not giving any wiggle room. I mean, if there's any sort of data that they have to report to the state, which they may already have had to even had done private schools even before this bill, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they're probably not going to get an A on that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I had that same question, whether that phrasing means these private schools do not have to meet the same metrics that public schools do. They don't, like, aren't beholden to the same sort of requirements as public schools. Obviously, it's a little bit different based on tax status and things like that. But um, I would be curious to know sort of what they think, you know, the language means when they say you know, I think the bill language is something like shall not implement um, certain requirements. Like, does that mean they won't have that sort of accountability? I, I'd like some more kind of clarity on, on what they think that would mean. And the Department of Education may be able to provide that. I, I think yeah. if we went to them and just said, what what transparency do private schools have to have now? You know, like what data do they have to report to the state now? Because they may have some things that they have to report already um, because there are some scholarship programs. I think it's the STO program. There is some public money already that goes to private schools. So I do wonder if they already have some reporting obligations. Um, and then maybe the Department of Ed would, would, would be able to answer that question that you're waiting that, you know, the LSA hasn't answered yet. Yeah. I mean, so far, um, I mean, of course, like enrollment data is available on non-public schools, but that's, you know, definitely not like a, a ton of data that's available to the public. Um, I mean, another thing that opponents of the bill argue is, you know, the, the board of directors of a public school isn't publicly elected, so therefore they're not publicly accountable. 
for how they run the schools. There's not like a public budget that people can weigh in on when it comes to the school board. So, you know, in that sense, they worry that there's not like a wider public accounting of how these funds would be spent. One interesting thing about this bill that I heard, this might be a little bit of a side note, but I am hearing some Republicans are voicing opposition. I heard this on um, Iowa Public Radio this morning because um, there are counties where money would be taken away from these public schools, but there is no private school in that county for these students to benefit from instead. So the money is sort of being taken arbitrarily without giving students another option to attend another school within that county. So, you know, it, it would be interesting to know what sort of impact that would have on these public schools, right? They're, they're supposed to meet these metrics and have this transparency, but if they're having funding taken away from them, how could that impact it too? Well, where would those kids go to school then? I mean, if they're leaving the public schools and there's no private school alternative, where would they be going? They would probably have to travel out of the county, right? Um, or maybe... I don't really know what the other option would be with that, because this doesn't apply to homeschooling, right? I'm guessing what they're talking or what they maybe mean is that if the um, state's budget, you know, is, but although it's probably in the per pupil funding, it's probably directly translated to if your students leave, you lose that funding, your district loses that funding, Mm. necessarily like equally applied across the state, no matter where the students are going, coming and going from. Mm. I'm also wondering about this language um, that they cited saying um, it can't be construed to expand authority to the state um, to impose regulations upon any non-public school that are not necessary to implement for the program. And I'm what I'm wondering what what regulations are necessary to implement for the student first scholarship program. And I don't think we quite know this from what I see so far. I mean, there's some language in the bill about like the powers of, you know, like the director of the Department of Education in terms of more of the administrative side of administering the scholarship. And um, there is some language in the bill about, um, you know, like broad curriculum requirements of like, you know, there must be this like social studies education. And, um, you know, those are standards that non-public schools are already held to. But beyond that, I'm not super sure. Yeah, I'm wondering if there are any any like new ones like specifically for this program. Um, but based on the reasoning already already said by others, I would probably because she used zero transparency. I don't think this quite meet quite meets that. This wouldn't get an A. I could see this getting a B, maybe a C, um, because. The other aspects of the statement are pretty well supported. It's just like not a complete concrete zero for me. (laughs) So. Well, and I do think, um, you know, if she's there, she's talking specifically about this Senate bill requiring zero transparency. So I think, you know, you know, aside from what I said earlier, that they may already have reporting requirements. Um, if there's no new reporting requirements as part of this bill, um, then I could support that idea requires zero transparency. I think that's more accurate. But if there's anything, as you were talking about the Parents' Bill of Rights, that's attached to this, that if 
you know, the private schools would also have to adhere to that, then um, I think this is almost false. So the, the Parents' Bill of Rights, you break that down and it's that they parents have to have rights to review information on the curriculum, to the education materials used, and to the process for moving for removing books from libraries. I, correct me if I'm wrong, Erin, but parents already have access to those aspects. That's something parents can already do in public schools, isn't it? Through the I school would think board. So I mean, yeah. I think I would think so for sure. So I, I have a feeling that this this parents' bill of rights only applies to these private schools because they don't have a publicly elected board. I could see that. So I feel like that solves one of our questions here. Well, again, that's the thing I'm checking with legislative staff about to make sure that it, you know, what the relationship would be between private schools and those requirements. Um, Because our, um, you know, our state government reporter, Erin Murphy, He's under the impression that this only applies to public schools and, and not private schools, which also um, seems kind of counter to the Republican mission to promote school transparency. If they're then going to divert funding to these public schools and not require them to be, you know, at least like a certain amount transparent to parents and guardians. Um, you know, so that'll be interesting, um, you know, whenever I do learn the answer to that, um, yeah, again, cause the bill, the parents bill of rights requires like the curriculum info to be provided to parents and information about like who the school district is giving money in any way. Um, but then there, the taxpayer argument there would be, well, you know, not all taxpayers are parents, but then if taxpayer money is still going to be supporting this scholarship program like what information are they entitled to from you know from private schools i think all that is worthy of discussion like of of kind of laying out in the check but it doesn't say public transparency her statement says requires zero transparency so i mean my thought is if the parents bill of rights applies to the private schools as part of this bill then this statement is wrong. I don't, you know, I don't know if it deserves an F, but it seems like maybe a D. But if the Parents' Bill of Rights does apply to the private schools as part of this, I think, um, or wait, did I just get that wrong? Did I flip that around? But if it if it does, yeah, okay. So um, you know what I mean? If it does apply to the private schools, then I think this is a D or an F. But if it does not apply to the private schools, I think it's an A. Yeah, I'd agree. I I would be, I, I feel like I'm being a little bit more lenient than that. I feel like if it applies to private schools, I would probably give it a C because, I mean, to me, it's just pretty clear that the, um, I mean, the standards at private schools are controlled differently than the standards at public schools. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think there's, um, I think we should spell out that there's other data that they are not providing to the public. And just because data would go to parents doesn't mean it goes to the public. It's for the public to determine whether that money is being spent wisely. But it doesn't say in that statement, that's why I think maybe a D because it gives one like- I, I, I see what you say now, yeah. 
I, I could go for that then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so this could really swing. That last claim could swing pretty widely depending yeah. on what you find out. Yeah. Sounds like you have some more homework to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm homeworking it. What every reporter loves to hear. <laughs> have more work to do. Yeah. Well, I, I know we've got to, um, that uh, we want to keep moving because you guys have somewhere else to be, but what else did you want to talk about, Marissa? Well, I think that's probably a wrap for this check, but Elijah, did you want to preview, um, you know, the check that's coming up next? Yeah. So um, let's see here. we have um, a check on representative Sydney Axney. Um, she has been featured in a new ad campaign um, touting efforts to lower healthcare costs for um, quote unquote working people. Um, and in the ad that I've seen, um, some of the claims include um, passing bipartisan bills about um, surprise um, medical billing and negotiating br- drug prices. So I will have that next week. We've kind of had a theme of that recently medical costs and medical related bills. So I like this theme. It's almost like people care about that. It's weird. <laughs> Great. Um, well, yeah. So again, come back next week, learn more with us. Um, so our fact check is edited by Craig Jamolis and our podcasts are produced by Stephen Colbert and our music is lobby time by Kevin McLeod. I am Marissa Payne. I'm Elijah Decius. I'm Michaela Ram. And I'm Erin Jordan. And we will fact check you later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.